Great, we're, we're, we're going through our series on the Beatitudes, the Joyful Kingdom, and the one for today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And in kind of understanding this, one of the things that's helpful to do is to get the context, the backdrop that Jesus was speaking in. So uh, the Romans ruled the world, or at least what was known of the world in those days, and they didn't rule the world by being merciful and nice. They ruled the world by being brutal and harsh, the iron fist of Roman rule. Crucifixion was a punishment, as far as I know, invented by the Romans in order to utterly, not just, um, not just obviously kill somebody, but to put absolute terror into the hearts of the people that they ruled. If you, if you, uh, if you don't do what we say, basically we're going we're gonna to utterly destroy you. So uh, he's speaking in that sense of mercy in a culture that was brutal. That's the Roman culture. And then obviously Jesus is in the middle of Israel. So he's also speaking in a Jewish culture. And in its own way, Jewish culture was brutal. So um, you, you might be familiar if you've read any of the stories of Jesus with the characters that are the Pharisees. Uh, those people that, that were in many ways legalistic, looking to catch people out. And, um, uh, and, and Jesus is often engaging with people who were outcasts of that society because there were a lot of outcasts. People who were classed as sinners. Um, people who were lepers, people who were ceremonially unclean. So again, um, that is an incredibly brutal culture. Thank goodness we don't live in a culture that brutal anymore, right? Um, of course, we, we have our own version of brutality here in the West. And uh, uh, certainly when it comes to a lack of mercy, it's, it's so prevalent. And, and for me, uh, I feel like in the last five to 10 years, it's become increasingly the case that we are showing a lack of mercy to one another. Now, that might not be true. It might be that we've always been as unmerciful as we seem to be as a culture. And all social media has done is given a, a megaphone um, to the state of our hearts in order to illustrate that. But we're now in a culture where somebody did something 30 years ago and that it's getting it's getting brought to light and that person is being punished and I'm not saying that's wrong uh, you know to be merciful is not to um, ignore sin and it's not to say things that are bad things that are wrong things that are even evil are not that that's not what it is to be merciful um, but it is to have compassion and to make a way back for a person it, it is to hold a hand out for restoration. It is to, to offer an opportunity for redemption. That's what it is to be merciful. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little nervous when I see the latest person who tweeted something 15 years ago is being ostracized because of what they've put out there. Because I think sooner or later, someone's going to discover my dark secrets and how are they going to respond. So we're living in a culture that is, merci uh, that is merciless in many ways. And so in that culture, we get to hold up this gemstone, this verse of blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we get to consider and gather around what Jesus is saying, uh, like people gather around a fire on a, on, a, on a camping site. We get to gather around it and, and feel the warmth of the verse and, and, and acclimatize ourselves to uh, what does he mean? And for us, in many ways, there's no more important statements that Jesus makes in Scripture than the Beatitudes. This is what it is to, to live as his followers, as his disciples, as members of the kingdom of heaven, as citizens. Um, you know, I, I occasionally, it pops up on my YouTube feed, uh, 
sort of videos that, that, where it says like, things only British people will understand. TikToks only British people will get. And it's got like, you know, a whole load of stuff about drinking tea or Boris Johnson or whatever. And stuff that like Americans wouldn't really appreciate this. But we British people really know what we're talking about. And, 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 and the Beatitudes are a little like that. They're, they're, they're almost like things that, that only Christians will get. Things that only people who are part of the culture of the kingdom of heaven will understand. So um, to unpack what it means to be uh, merciful... What it doesn't mean, uh, as I've said, is it doesn't mean that we, we pretend it's okay and we make something wrong into a right. But what it does mean is we give grace where it's not deserved. And we show kindness where it's not warranted. Um, how do we do that? Three ways. The first way is we forgive the unforgivable. We forgive the unforgivable. And, and really, in all of the Beatitudes, another way of summarizing is basically saying, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. So um, what happens, and this for me is one of the most staggering moments in Jesus' entire life, is right at the end, when, when we are putting him to death, when we have put nails through his hands and through his feet, having just beaten him and humiliated him, and he's pinned up against the cross, dying, what does he pray? He prays for the people who are putting him to death. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And after the resurrection and the church is born, the first martyr, the first person who gave his life for the faith was someone called Stephen. And you can read about him in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen is dragged outside the city of Jerusalem by an angry mob who then pick up stones and they start throwing these rocks at him and they begin eventually to kill him. And as Stephen is being stoned to death, he calls out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So as, as Christians, as Jesus' people, forgiving the unforgivable is is part of our DNA. It's part of our heritage. It's not a small part of who we are. It's right at the core. And it's incredibly difficult. And to forgive means, in, in lots of ways, it means to forget. It's a love that, uh, uh, this is how Paul talks about it in Corinthians, it's a love that keeps no record of wrongs. And um, it, it's probably the case that I'm not the only person who keeps a record of wrongs, who, who, who says to myself, and this is particularly true in marriage, and it's true in close relationships, perhaps with a parent or something. But it's, it, the, I, I sort of say to myself, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. And, uh, and then Beth will do something, you know, two years later that was the same thing. I'll say, this is the second time you've done that. The first time was in 2019 on this day. And this is how it made me feel. And you're still doing it now. And we can, we can hold on to things as opposed to let them go. And, and, and we assume that's how God forgives, and that's not how he forgives. When we come back to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry I did this again. He said, did it again? When did you do it the first time? Because he forgives completely. He forgets. So the second thing, if it's forgiving the unforgivable, the second thing it is to show mercy is it's to honour the dishonourable. Honour the dishonourable. Um, I've been around church long enough now to have been to churches where they, they speak of a culture of honour. 
We're going to honour people in this church. And, you know, um, and, and, and in practice, not always, but sometimes, um, what that looks like is honouring the people who have a microphone and honouring the people at the front. And they're the ones that get treated like little celebrities wandering around. And that's absolutely not a culture of honour. We honour everybody. Someone who's got a microphone should be honoured, but no more than someone who hasn't got a microphone. And, and particularly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that we are to honour the weaker members. The weaker members, that those who, those who struggle more are to be honoured more. Those who find it harder are to be honoured. Um, and again, all we're doing as we attempt to do this is to be like Jesus. So Jesus walks through the, the dry, dusty lanes of the, the towns that he visited back in the day and the people you know, that he sniffs out. It's almost like he goes seeking them, hunting them down, are the ones that so often in that culture were dishonoured. So the Samaritan woman is probably one of the best examples. This woman that was ostracised even by her own Samaritan community um, because of the lifestyle that she'd led, where she'd had husband after husband after husband, she was living with someone who wasn't her husband. In that culture, that was, that was a cause for shame. And Jesus, Jesus honours her. He speaks to her. He shares who he, he is with her. He offers her, effectively, the Holy Spirit, the water of life. Another great example is Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who we're told is not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, the worst of all the tax collectors. Again, tax collectors are generally hated in every culture that has ever existed. But in Israel, in those days, if you were collecting taxes, that meant you were collecting for the Romans, the, the enemy. So you'd betrayed your own people. He was a chief betrayer. And Jesus goes, goes walking through the streets, smells Zacchae up the tree, senses that he's there, calls him down, says, I want to come to your house. I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. Um, and, and so he honours the people that no one else will honour. And um, I have a few longings in my heart, and I'm sure you do, as to what sort of a church you want to belong to. What sort of a community we want to be. Church isn't an organisation, it's a community. A community of loving brothers and sisters. And the sort of community that I want to be a part of with every part of my being is one where we honour the dishonourable. And one where um, if people are struggling, we don't ostracise them and cut them out. Not, not even subconsciously, but we, we, we embrace them and we welcome them in. And we hold them up and we will say, you will never be alone and you'll never have to walk alone and you can find home here. And um, I've realised over the years, there is no such thing as a perfect church. And if you found one, you couldn't join it because you would spoil it. It, 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 it is always going to be a community of broken people. Churches look um, perfect sometimes from a distance. People who are watching the live stream from far away may well think Soul Survivor Watford is perfect. <laughs> I'd invite you to come and spend some real time with us and you'll see that's not true. But what we do want to be is, is a church where we honour those who are dishonourable. And that when, when a brother or a sister falls and stumbles, rather than, rather than stepping away, we come closer. We've all got dark secrets, all of us. We've all got things we're ashamed of, every single person in this room. And I want to be a part of a community where I can share that and still be loved. Okay, that's the sort of community Jesus has in mind when he talks about being merciful. So it means to honour the dishonourable. And thirdly, it means to love the unlovable. 
Um, and this begins when we understand that we are all essentially and basically the same before him. Um, oh, Mike's just texted me. I am watching on the live stream, you are so boring. <laughs> oh, my word. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show mercy to him. Um, boom. Um, all right. Where were we? Loving the unlovable. Oh, yeah. Uh, Man, these notes are terrible. No wonder I can't understand anything I'm saying. He made them. Um, right. We are the, basically, when we understand we're all in the same boat with this, that's when, that's when everything begins to change. Um, not that we're the loved people who got it all together and we're showing love to all these poor, unlovable others, but that we're all before him, people who come as beggars, and we have received this absolute feast. And then all we are doing is telling others where they can find food too. That's all we're doing. We're just, we're people who've come empty-handed and it's like this, this tsunami of love has been poured into that tiny little cup we hold before him. And all we do as we give love away is we just, from the abundance that he has poured into us, we give it to others. That's the heart of Christianity and that's what it is to be a people like him, a people who show mercy and, and let it be the aspiration for all of us. And I'm preaching to myself more than anyone else to be somebody like this. But it is not easy. In fact, it's the opposite of easy. And we fall very far short often. So what can help us if we want to grow in this? Um, I think the first thing that helps is really getting that we are the receivers of mercy before we're the givers of it. That's where it starts. And uh, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is the story uh, you can find in Matthew chapter 18. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant, it's called. And I'll, I'll just read some of it to you. Um, the context is Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times do I have to forgive people? And Jesus, he sort of says, uh, you know, seven times. And, and Jesus says, no, no, not seven times. 70 times seven, Pete, which means you just keep forgiving. And then Jesus tells him a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had sold to, to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's how it finishes. Um, 
And it's easy when we read Jesus' stories to sort of skim over them and not appreciate what he's actually saying, but it's absolutely huge. He says, this guy walks into the throne room of this king and he owes him 10,000 bags of gold. And if you do the sums on that, that's, that's, it's an astronomical figure. It's bigger than the, the sort of GDP of Galilee, Samaria and Judea put together. We're talking like this, we're talking hundreds of millions of pounds. I know you feel like you're in debt, but this is like mad, right? He walks in with this almost inconceivable amount of debt. And, you know, anyone who's been in debt knows the burden that that puts on you and the weight that you feel under when you're in that position. And he walks up to the king and he knows this is a guy who, who, who doesn't mess, And he knows this is a guy who, if someone can't pay their debt, their whole family gets enslaved. So how's he feeling in that moment? How would you be feeling? Utterly terrified. You know, his mouth is dry. His knees are knocking. He needs the loo. He's, He's standing there terrified. And then the king finally says, come before me. And the guy says, I can't pay it. If you give me a bit more time, I'll pay it, but I can't do it now. And the king knows that's not true as much as the guy knows that's not true. It's like saying, give me a bit more time and I'll find a billion pounds. You're not going to find it. But he, he, what else can he say? So he says, give me more time and I'll pay the debt. And then, and then it's like this look of compassion comes over the king's face. And he just, he just says to him, it's, it's wiped away. It's clean. It's done. It's gone. And this guy leaves the room with that weight lifted. Can you imagine a situation like that? For me, the biggest debt I've ever had is a mortgage. You know, 35-year mortgage. That's what we had to get to buy a house in Watford. And, and, and every time I go on my online banking, it's like, there's your money, and there's like minus thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds that you'll be paying off until you're practically dead, right? And imagine that the bank manager of Nationwide calls me in, Andy, we need to talk. We're going to repossess your house. I go in. And uh, I'm standing there before the bank manager and he says, you know, you need to give me all the, all the money back. And I said, please, give me more time. 35 years, more time. And I will get you your money. And imagine if he looked at me in that moment and just said, do you know what? Forget it. You can, you can just, we'll just wipe it out and you can keep the house. How would I respond? How would you respond in that moment? I would snog the bank manager. <laughs> I would, I would literally be up on the desk. I would leave that room. I would leave. I would run into Watford High Street and I would just go, yes, nationwide. Yes, nationwide. Yes, nationwide. I knew there was a reason I chose you. Why? Why would I react like that? Because in a single moment, in an instant, with just one sentence, an entire lifetime's worth of debt has disappeared. And for us, it disappeared when he said, it is finished when he died on the cross. And, and, and we sit with that um, to, to, to meditate on the fact that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my sins from me, that he washes me as white as snow. Every shameful thought, every terrible thing, everything I've ever said, thought and done, every time I've been a coward and backed away when I should have stood up for what was right, every way in which I've fallen short, the ugliest, dirtiest things I've done, white as snow. Before we're a people who give mercy, we are a people who have received it. And when we, when we sit with that, then suddenly... Uh, suddenly it becomes easier to give it away. And Jesus says, and he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
for they will receive mercy. And what he's not saying, it's really clear to understand this, is that if you are merciful, you'll earn some mercy in response. It's not a works-based thing. We will show mercy as we put him to death on a cross. It's not about that. But the blessing is um, that the happiness comes, the joy comes when we learn to be a people of mercy because it truly is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It really is. This is the upside-down kingdom. Uh, it's inside out. And, and a part of it is captured in the fact that when you're a person who's able to give mercy, you also can receive mercy. You're also better at receiving it. One of the figures that I relate to most in the scripture is the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son who worked and worked and worked and worked. And yet it's the younger son who went into the party and into his father's embrace. And it's the older brother that stayed outside and we never find out what happened to him. When we're tight-fisted and judgmental of others, we find it very hard to receive and to trust in the mercy of God. And to, to cling on to bitterness and judgmentalism and condemning others and judging them, it's, it's a very heavy and a very sad way to live. It's, it's in many ways initially the easier road. I'll be happy if I hold this grudge. It's just so satisfying to hang this over your head. Isn't that easy at the start? But then before you know it, it's like you've, you've taken poison and you're waiting for them to die. And all that's happening is it's eating you up inside. Blessed are those who, who, who are merciful because they will receive mercy. It's this weird two-way thing that we open our hand to offer it and at the same time we're better able to receive it. And we begin then to live in happiness and to live in joy. Um, to finish, in a nutshell, Jesus is saying in this verse, be like me. Be like me. Um, my response is, Lord, I've got no hope of that. I've got no hope. You see me getting bitter about these people in the, in the paddling pool who got in there ahead of me and my children, even though we got up really early and I'm super sweaty and I've got them changed and their sunscreen's on and I'm, ah! Even that's a hard thing for me in the sunshine. How can I be merciful like you? Do you know what his response is, I think? is look at me. Just look at me first. Watch how I do it. First of all, to you, I love the unlovable parts of you. I will honour those parts of you that are dishonourable. I will forgive those things that you think are unforgivable. You receive that. And then you give it away to others. And then the more you give it away, the more you'll find you'll receive it from me. And you'll trust my mercy more and more. And then you give it away. And then you're better able to receive it from me. And you find that you grow into a state that could be described as blessed or happy. Does that make sense?